Uh, Eleanor Mathis is on the call with us. Eleanor is a um, graduate student in KU's urban planning program and started with us as our intern uh, last week. So very happy to have, have her. And um, Eleanor, I don't know if you want to say a, a few words about yourself. Um, yeah, like Adam said, um, I'm in transportation uh, uh, planning classes, and I'm very passionate about um, transportation and just very excited to start this new job. Well, welcome, Eleanor. Glad to have you with us. Welcome. Uh, with that, I see that we have at least uh, seven members of uh, PTAC in attendance on this call right now, so I will call this meeting to order. Uh, Felice, could you please go over the rules of engagement for our online meetings and then a roll call of the members? Sure. Good evening. My name is Felice Laverne, Transit Planner 2 with Lawrence Transit. With me here is Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. He will work alongside Mike Wazikowski to facilitate the meeting proceedings. Adam and myself will facilitate the Zoom portion of the meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear you. You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, we may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name and title for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn your video on and off by clicking on the video icon on the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, please keep your video on when you're participating in the meeting. When you're not participating, it's okay to turn your video off. Just remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. If you're participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. Now I will do the roll call. Lance Fay. Here. Max Schieber. Here. Mike Wazikowski. Here. Alan Ackland. Here. Gregory Critchlow. I do not see Gregory on the line. <clears throat> Phil Wilson. Here. August Rudisell. Present. Freddie Gipp. Here. Okay, that's uh, seven and the eight, so we definitely have a quorum. Uh, thank you everyone for uh, being in attendance today. Uh, first item on the agenda after call of order is public comment. Uh, I do see a handful of people who I do not recognize, which suggests to me that there may be some members of the public who want to comment online. Uh, first, Adam, is there anyone in the room with you? Uh, no, that looks pretty sparse. Uh, is there anyone on the line uh, from uh, public who would like to comment at this time? I see Dre looking at Hi, good afternoon, everybody. I'm not a member of the public, but I did want to introduce myself. 
Um, I'm standing in for uh, Jessica Moringer. I'm the Douglas County's new mobility manager. So I'll be working with different transportation agencies <laughs> to increase um, accessibility and um, collaboration between everybody. So good afternoon. And thanks for Chairman Andre, and thanks for popping on. I'll add a little bit just to give the group um, some more idea of, of Dre's role. So the uh, state of Can or KDOT has a mobility manager program, and, and throughout the state, they've been building these positions, um, helping fund and build these positions. So there are mobility managers um, in Shawnee County to the, to our west, and there's um, um, there's some in the Kansas City area. There are some in the Salina and Wichita areas. So uh, the big, as Dre mentioned, a lot of the role is to just try to identify service gaps between uh, transit agencies, not only uh, kind of the larger ones like us that do fixed route and paratransit services, but a lot of the um, smaller agencies who provide social service um, transportation to certain groups of people. Um, think about agencies like the Senior Resource Center or Independence Inc. Um, who, who provide uh, other transportation services in our area. Um, there are a lot of opportunities for um, improved collaboration and trying to figure out some uh, some service gaps that exist. Uh, you know, one that we hear a lot about um, through our regional transportation advisory committee is is like medical trips from somebody who lives in Topeka and needs to travel to Kansas oh, City God, for a medical a trip. Bit. That can be a very challenging trip to coordinate um, across a bunch of different jurisdictions and a bunch of different service providers. And um, and that's something that's one of the very difficult issues that, that Dre is going to step into and try to help help out with. But there are a number of other things that agencies face and, and um, Dre and his role should be able to provide some good analysis and evaluation and, and coordination between all of us to try to make things work better. Thanks, Dream. Uh, is there anyone else who wants to provide public comment at this time? Okay, hearing none, uh, we will proceed next. Uh, item on the agenda then is to approve the minutes from our meeting on January 10th. Uh, the attachment is available on the agenda. So I uh, trust that all the PTAC members have been able to review and uh, confirm themselves whether the minutes are correct or need amendments. So as always, I will offer three times. Uh, does anyone have any amendments to offer to the minutes of this meeting? Second call, are there any amendments to offer to the minutes from our January meeting? Last call, any amendments to offer? Okay, hearing none, then the minutes are approved by unanimous consent. Thank you, Adam Felice and Lawrence Transit staff for putting them together for us. So next item on the agenda and the main item on the agenda is an update on the uh, multimodal transfer facility project. 
which is going to include a presentation by transit staff as well as Wendell. Uh, so uh, Adam and team, you have something you'd like to present, I presume? Yeah, so Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. Um, I'll get us started and um, maybe before I get into it, uh, just point everybody to Tony Kellen and Scott Neal from Wendell. Uh, do you gentlemen want to come off mute, just briefly describe your role in the project? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm uh, just a project assistant, uh, helped with the sale of the project and the studies. And so I have a minor role, but I'm keeping myself very interested. Thanks, Tony and Scott. And um, Tony's just being modest. He's actually a former uh, transit operator. So he's uh, he, he keeps our design guided with the idea of client in mind. And uh, I'm Scott Neal. I'm uh, the project architect on the job. All right, so thanks to you both for being here. I will, um, I'll walk through the presentation. It's, it's uh, I'll, I'll try to not spend too much time so that you all have plenty of questions, but uh, in general, we'll be walking through the uh, site plan. Uh, so the overall site, the floor plan, and uh, then some 3D renderings to kind of show what the look and feel. I'll probably pause at each of those places to see if Tony or Scott have anything to add, um, but then uh, they'll be a good resource and I can also help answer any questions you might have. So let me bring this up. Uh, Adam and the team, would you like us to hold questions until the presentation is over and or until or intersperse as we see fit? Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I think uh, I'll pause after each of the three major uh, sections. So site plan, floor plan, and renderings, and, and see if there's any thoughts at that time. But of course, we can always um, catch anything at the end or go back to anything. Thank you. Okay, so uh, as I mentioned, we'll get through um, site plan, floor plan, renderings. Uh, do also just want to update related to the timeline, where we're at budget-wise, and then um, have a check on where the project started as far as programming. So what sort of indoor and outdoor elements were we uh, trying to incorporate? And then what are we, what are we looking at incorporating at this stage of the project? Okay, so try to keep this relatively large so you all can see it. Um, to orient you a little bit on this site plan, um, Bob Billings runs east and west on the top part of this screen. Crestline would be on the left side or the west side of this screen. Um, so the site you're looking at, um, let me bring it in here. Okay, so uh, western portion of the site, we have, um, that's where all the bus circulation and platform occurs. So uh, the very corner of the site will be um, just naturally where a lot of the water will drain to. So that area is going to be the, the bioswale area. Um, so the intent is to make that um, a pretty attractive part of the property as opposed to your typical um, 
kind of drainage pond. Um, so we plan on having plantings and different things in there, um, native plantings and things to help catch water in that area. Buses will only um, enter the site on typical basis from Crestline. Um, they'll be able to circulate clockwise around this site and either exit also on Crestline or exit onto Bob Billings. Um, we're looking at a certain curb cut out here that, um, you know, under emergencies or under, you know, significant construction activity or something, some sort of blockage on Crestline, we'll be able to bring a bus in here uh, from Bob Billings, a right turn only, but that's uh, at least initially not part of the operational plan. All of the local services, so city and KU buses will be oriented around the central platform. There are a couple of bays to the north, and these will be where uh, the K-10 connector, so Johnson County Community College, as well as Greyhound will be able to serve. Um, there's interest from both of those groups, different operators at, at serving this site, um, you know, particularly with Greyhound, which serves downtown right now by the library. One of the things we learned from them through the process is that a lot of their writers from Lawrence are students. So they really viewed this site as um, not only a little bit easier to get to and maneuver around from the highway than, than maneuvering around downtown, but also should be a lot closer to campus and to students who use those services. So interested in bringing those regional services in. There will be um, automobile access off Bob Billings. There is a small amount of parking, um, primarily for staff. We will also use this in case of uh, public meetings or, or different public uses we might have at the facility, but on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, the parking at the site is not meant for um, park and ride or general public use. Um, we've still got some details to figure out on uh, access and enforcement of that to make sure it's used appropriately. On the automobile loop, there is a uh, specific drop-off lane, pickup drop-off lane. So we envision this being used by services like Uber, Lyft, taxis to connect people to and from the site. There are people who um, you know, consider a couple where one person uses the bus service in Lawrence, but the other drives to Kansas City or Topeka for work. Um, you know, people can drop off kids or spouses or, or other family members to use the bus while they use the car for their own use. People accessing the site would have this pedestrian path into the facility, and we'll get into the floor plan of that. Um, you know, folks walking from the street, from Bob Billings, from Meadowbrook, would have access to the site um, at this pedestrian entrance. You'll see it both pedestrian pathways up from Bob Billings. There's a more direct path that does have stairs. Um, but each of these also has a loop for ADA compliance. So um, folks in wheelchairs still have access, navigating some relatively steep terrain um, from Bob Billings up to the site. So that's why you see those, those loops that extend out. Looking to keep a few key large trees that are on the site. Um, in particular, there's a very large one in this area that um, things are oriented in a way to avoid um, so that that can be kept for shade and and aesthetics. And I will probably leave my site comments there. I might first ask if 
either Tony or Scott has anything they would want to add on what I've touched on related to site. I think that was good, Adam. I don't uh, have really anything to add from a high level point of view. So. Okay. So then I might pause to see if any um, members of PTAC have questions at this point of the presentation. Yes, yeah, so I'll open it up to uh, the committee. Anyone have uh, comments, questions, or concerns about uh, the site plan, the outdoor segment at least? This is Al Ackland, PTAC member. Um, so uh, earlier on, there were some uh, discussions about the cost of retaining wall. And so I'm just curious about, you know, if there's still going to be a retaining wall back to the south or whether or not you're going to be putting, bringing in uh, fill to level the site. Yeah, that's a good question, Alan. Um, Scott, can you explain kind of how we're dealing with the, the slope on the southern side of the site and retaining and anything else? Yeah, um, sure. So, so basically, here I'm going to change my color here. Um, so this this height, <clears throat> this height, and you know, really all the way through there, those red lines represent about within reason the same grade. You know, obviously we we slope substantially uphill um, this way. Um, and then, of course, between here and here, we slope um, quite a bit downward. Um, but we were able to adjust the amount of impervious and um, the, the size of the disturbed area. So now this area through here is just a swale. And this is our one detention pond. There is no um there is no massive retaining as it were last time we were able to we were able to work the engineering where um we we really dropped the impervious which really was a prime driver here uh, are there any other comments questions concerns this is August. We just saw a PTAC member. I just have a question. I'm not familiar with KU's priority rating for the snow removal of Crestline it's, uh, south of Bob Billings. Because it looks like there looks like buses will be coming in from the south and entering the complex from the west campus. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. So there are still some. Um, details to work out with KU on on Crestline and and snow removal and and that sort of thing. I mean, um, there's there's a few different tools in the toolbox to handle okay. that, but it's our intent to um, to make sure that there's a, a solution for snow removal on all snow events, both both within the platform itself, but also like you mentioned, this is a critical piece of that puzzle, the connection of Crestline to Bob Billings. So, so there will be some solution where that is a prioritized um, okay. you know, piece of Thank street. You. Thanks, Adam. Are there any other comments, questions, concerns from uh, PTAC members? I 
Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I'll, I'll move along, but again, happy to come back as needed. So let's see, make this as big as I can here. Okay, so building-wise to orient you um, a little bit. So same orientation as the last slide we looked at. So off to the left would be the bus platform. Um, to the north or the top would be where Bob Billings is. And to the east you see, um, you know, everything east of this line is, is going to remain KU building and property. So we are repurposing the western building of the, the two maintenance buildings that are over there. Uh, but the loading dock area and and the east building are still going to be still going to be KUs. So this is the footprint we're looking at um, for the for our uses. For those folks coming off the platform, walking into the building, um, the vestibule area is where folks will walk into. Uh, from that area, um, people can take bicycles into a um, corner location where we have long-term bike storage. Um, you know, initial programming of this project, we really were thinking about outdoor bike lockers as a place where people could, um, you know, securely leave their bikes all day if they were connecting to this facility and, and using the bus system beyond that. As we got into this site and had, you know, some, some uh, square footage to look at inside the building, this became um, an attractive place to, to manage that, that long-term bike parking. So, um, we will, you know, in, in part be promoting this site as a place that's very easy, you know, along a shared use path on Bob Billings, an easy place to bike to, secure your bike, you know, locked in a, a secure location, and then, um, you know, use the transit system, whether you're going on to campus or some other area of town. So that's an important piece for, for folks. Um, straight in through the front doors, and, and thank you, Scott, for drawing these these pieces. Um, there is a customer service window right when you walk in, and we do have do not have a staff person hired for that role yet, but we um, have that on the budget for this year. So, um, you know, with this facility, uh, we, we do plan to hire somebody to, to manage the customer service window. There are public restrooms. There's a waiting area. Um, as you'll see in some of the 3D renderings, there's a lot of visibility out uh, really both of these corners, but this corner uh, so people can sit and wait and, and see buses approaching or, or departing the platform. There's a couple other things marked in this public space I wanna to point to. Um, social service area, uh, really we just wanted to designate a space where it was um, easy to program tabling events. So if um, the library or Ballard Center or Cottonwood or any, you know, any social service agency in our city who does uh, fairs or other events where they bring information to a table. We, we've created a space for that, um, that we, that's near the waiting area that we would plan on, uh, you know, being able to coordinate with our community partners to bring information services to transit passengers in, a, in an easy way. There is also a vendor space. Um, so this space is partially programmed. Um, we have been working with the public library uh, to look at uh, some version of their um, down hall books like they have uh, in the lower level of the library today, which is essentially a, a couple or a few large bookshelves that are 
curated and managed by the foundation, the Public Library Foundation, and people can uh, freely take books from there. Um, there's, there's no checkout process where you have to work with a staff person. It essentially operates kind of like those little free libraries you see, but in a, in a larger sense and you know a little more uh, curated by library foundation staff. So um, that will be one way we've looked at programming this space. Um, we are building it as such to have a counter that will have water and power and, and important um, utilities that could work for um, perhaps a future coffee snack bar, something like that. Um, some quick grab and go uh, food and drink beyond just the water fountains that are in this space, um, we think would be a real amenity for bus passengers and people in and out of the site. Um, but are unlikely, I think, to um, identify a vendor ahead of opening that that uh, that will really work with us on like a full build out, be ready to, to go from day one. So uh, one way we might work through that is um, is trying to maybe do some pop up events. You know, after the facility opens, we might have um, a company come in and serve coffee for a few hours on you know one day a month or something to that effect. Um, so we can really gauge kind of how people might use that sort of service. And is it um, a thing that, that works for both the business and passengers? So um, there's still some space here, I think, that is flexible um, for us to think about what might be there long term. Scott had drawn, I believe Scott had drawn the, um, the line between kind of public and, and city use um, at this wall, roughly. Um, and that really is the case. So a lot of those things I described will be all the things that, that people using the transit system will see and interact with. Um, on this half of the building, there is yeah, a conference room really being kind of used by both. So we talked about a conference space that could be used for something like PTAC meetings or um, other engagement meetings when we have projects and things that we're trying to um, talk with passengers and bus operators about. This will be a space that we can uh, operate those those sorts of uses. On uh, the right half of this building, the east half or two thirds is more the internal staff use. Uh, bus operators will have a um, a separate entrance down here to a break room. Uh, this uh, break room as well as restrooms. So as bu bus operators look to um, take care of some things between trips, they'll have easy access to that. There will be um, city staff, uh, city transit staff officed at this facility. Um, as our staff has grown and we're getting very close to outgrowing our current space downtown in the parking garage, um, we'll be moving out here. So our staff will share that break room with operators. It'll be a good opportunity we don't have today to interact with um, bus operators on a daily basis. Um, as well as passengers, you know, being able to walk out directly from our offices to the platform and, and talk with people and interact with people um, will be an important thing. There will be uh, lost and found will be coordinated here. Uh, that currently is done out of our maintenance facility north of town. There's some real logistical challenges to that. Having a central lost and found, I think will make it a lot easier um, for people to quickly recover their items and, and uh, be a, a real great space for us to have for that use. I'm going to interject here too that before the pandemic, we did that lost and found in the transportation services office at KU. And I think having it next to where 
eight of the bus routes are going instead of two is going to be a fantastic improvement. Yeah, those are great points, Margareta. Thank you. A couple other things I'll mention. Um, there is what we're calling shell space storage. There's a, a portion of the building that we don't currently uh, need for uh, for some of the uses we've talked about, some of the uses we anticipated through um, the early programming of this project. We, we are seeing a greater need for um, a more secure, uh, I don't know if it'd be fully climate controlled, but more climate controlled place for uh, bus stop amenities. Our benches and shelters and trash cans and those parts are all currently stored in a warehouse um, out east of town where we do have some issues with security and and um, dust in particular over time dust can etch some of the glass on our shelters and different things like that. So we are looking at using this space, at least in the beginning, as potential place to house some of those materials. Um, again, the central nature of this facility will be uh, real valuable for parks and rec staff who help us install those items to um, have a place that's central in town when they're uh, really helping us install stuff all over the place. So that is probably where I will leave the floor plan discussions. Um, again, I guess, Tony, Scott, anything I left out? Tony Kellen with Wendell. Um, no, I think you did a really good job again. One, um, yeah, one, one thing, um, uh, it's nice about this plan is we do have the mechanicals um, that will be um, elevated in a mezzanine area on the high uh, side of the building or the tall part of the building. Um, so there is uh, some efficiency there. So we are getting the benefit of a lot of usable floor area. And um, beyond that, um, we are going to be reusing an awful lot of the utilities, which is also good, um, that are under the slab. We don't see a lot of resizing that has to be done internally, that is. All right, thanks, Scott. Um, so I guess then, Mike, yeah, if there's any questions about floor plan from PTAC members, we'd entertain those. Yeah, I'll open the floor to everyone else um, before I have at least one question. Does anyone other than myself from PTAC have comments, questions, concerns about this floor plan? Yeah, this is Al Ackland, PTAC member. So it, it doesn't look like there's any uh, storm shelter, is that correct? Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, thanks for bringing that up. That will be, yeah, well, that's, that shows up on our programming. Um, uh, piece of things. You know, early on we talked about what level of storm shelter, tornado shelter this site might be able to have. Definitely reusing this facility um, really limited our ability to have uh, like a large storm shelter that would be a place where we would potentially bring people during an emergency event, you know, on purpose. Um, I do think practically the restrooms and the, the wall spacing around that area are going to be the um, the shelter place for people who are at the site, you know, uh, kind of a, um, you know, shelter in place sort of mindset. Um, that, that'll be the place we have for that, but there's not, 
um, an opportunity with the construction of this type of building for us to have like a large room for 50 people, 100 people, something like that. I guess uh, I might want Scott to chime in. I don't know if I fully explained kind of our, our constraints around that or our thought process around the tornado shelter. Right. Um, so the where the tornado shelters um, end up uh, coming into play is whether or not this is um, considered part of your um, emergency services. <clears throat> and in some instances, we do have that. We have clients that are um, part of um, the evacuation plan, you know, be it hurricane zone or what have you. Um, but in this case, um, this facility does not meet that threshold. So this would be a um, this would be a, a tornado shelter for um, for the purposes of you know people who are actually here at the um, facility. <clears throat> so the thought is, um, we are going to have some rooms um, that do have to be um, in in closed. In masonry, we have not defined that yet, but for the most part, um, it's going to have the ability of people to be indoors, uh, away from windows, and um, but it wouldn't be designed to the to the strength of a of, of a code compliant tornado shelter at this time. I'm back from PTAC member. Yeah, I'm just. Kind of concerned, you know, with, with like I said, with the number of people that might be at the location, plus the fact that it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, foot traffic that goes back and forth and front, not to mention normal traffic. So, um, you know, in, in an emergency, any kind of a nice new building, you know, looks like it might be a, a good place to uh, seek shelter. And it's uh, just like this is the time to, to take a good look at that and, and try to, rather than trying to retrofit something later. Thank you, Alan. Uh, do any other members of PTAC have comments, questions, concerns about this? August Rudis of PTAC. Alan stole my first question, but my second question did have to do with shelter as well. And I was thinking more because in the renderings when I was looking at those today, I was curious about escaping excessive heat days for the public. I know most of the movement of of riders will be fairly quick from bus to bus, but there are days sometimes where if a bus is behind, there can be a five to 10 minute wait. And I didn't know if that waiting area would, I, I just wanted to know more about the waiting area and if, could people go in there to escape excessive heat? Yeah, Adam, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Uh, that waiting area is, yeah, I mean, it'll be climate controlled and open to the public. Uh, so, um, so yeah, people would be welcome to come in there. Um, and wait for that that time period, the next bus, or um, to escape the heat. I think that would be an appropriate use of that space. I know um, early on I had some talks with sustainability office about the outdoor area. There are some cities who do uh, little mist gardens or a splat a splash pad, essentially. You know, some some way for people to cool down in an outdoor setting. I think on this site. Um, there would certainly be some cost and space challenges with trying to get a cooling center outdoors, but I think that indoor space is definitely 
a place where we would want people to come in out of the heat in the summer. Thank you, Adam. Are there any other comments, questions, and concerns from PTAC members? Okay, uh, hearing none, the really the main question, well, I have two questions really. The big one was kind of piggybacking off of August's question about that waiting area. Obviously, that's envisioned as an area for the public to be able to use. Um, I'm curious, what is like the capacity of that waiting area in terms of how many members of the public could we plausibly have waiting there at one time? And then the, I guess the corollary with that is, how does that compare with how many people typically are waiting at our current transfer station at any time? Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I can say that the downtown center, I mean, just speaking from personal experience, I guess it can vary um, from a handful of people to um, maybe 20, 30 in that neighborhood that I would see at, at any one point waiting for waiting for vehicles. But Scott, uh, looks like you're getting ready to explain kind of the space for seating and that sort of thing. Yeah, <clears throat> so what we would do is um, the, the rectangles along the, uh, along the windows would be, area um, where you would have a, a bar height and um, there would be charging stations. So um, for those who want to stand, um, that would be an area and we, um, we anticipate, although we haven't gotten into it yet, that we would have um, seating for right around uh, 12, 12 to 15 people. And that would be more along the lines of the banked airport seating. Okay, thank you. Um, it's hard for me to know if that's sufficient or not. I mean, I know that we have decent ridership, but I also know that we kind of envision being able to build this facility to make our transit ridership grow and you know if people if there's any time that we want to have room for people to be able to congregate inside instead of waiting outside for their bus that seems a little bit constrictive to me but we're also limited with that space that we have because we made the choice to uh, use the framework from the previous warehouse that's there so we're kind of stuck and Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, I guess I would say too, there is, uh, I don't think that just again, experience at transit centers, transfer centers like this. I mean, there'll be a number of people who uh, there's, there's not enough time to come in and wait in the indoor space. There'll be a lot of people using the platform itself, which is quite large um, as, a, as a waiting area. So I don't know that the full number of people passing through the site um, if they're transferring vehicles, we'll come into this space and wait and then go back out. So there will be some, um, you know, capacity kind of spreading out there. Okay. Uh, Lance Fade, PTAC Vice Chair, I'm going to chime in on that um, from a rider perspective. 
there are typically not a lot of people going inside or have the time to go inside between their bus transfers. Um, it looks like what is there is probably adequate. Might want to think about space for growth in the future, but I, I don't. I don't see there as being a shortage of space for that accommodation. I think if you think about how quickly most people transfer from route to route, um, we're not going to have 30 people wanting to go sit inside for 10 minutes at a time. Yeah, I would, I would say our, our experience with facilities like this, that that's accurate, Lance. Um, we, we see a lot of times that this is um, the waiting in areas get a lot for people who are not actually transferring, that it would be used for destination or origin. So people are basically being picked up. Um, and then it's, it's pretty fluid. So if they're cold, they go in there and they're waiting um, or if somebody's picking them up, but otherwise, yeah, if they're transferring, they're mostly going to be out on the on the uh, platform, um, which hopefully we design well as a windbreak and out of out of weather. Okay, thank you for that conversation. Uh, only other question I had was uh, related to partly this, but partly the site plan as well. Um, do we have any idea where the artists that uh, we're still in contact with about design art for this facility, do we know where they might be looking at locating their uh, stuff, whether inside this building or outdoors? Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, that shows up in an, another slide later too, but it's a good question. There, there is a, uh, a meeting with the artist selection panel this Friday, where we will be looking at proposals from uh, three artists that that group was interested in learning more about what they were thinking. Um, so I think at that time, we'll have a better understanding of what those three artists were thinking as far as uh, where their different pieces of art might go. Um, you know, that that particular selection panel will, I'm sure, have, uh, you know, maybe an artist they would recommend us continuing to work with. All of that information, though, will go through the Cultural Arts Commission. Um, I'm anticipating in March for that group to help us decide, um, you know, which which artists we might, um, you know, select to move forward with. And and we'll have an idea of where where those pieces might be. I think the the. Um, range of different types of artwork that those artists do could probably lend themselves to a lot of different areas on the site, exterior or interior. So I think for the moment, we're keeping a pretty open mind until we see what proposals look like. Thank you. Uh, I have no further questions. Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I do want to bring up um, a topic that came up in the chat about uh, concerns with people who are homeless um, and loitering, uh, whether it's on the site or in the building, and you know any measures we are looking at to, um, to manage those concerns. Um, you know the approach I and it will it will take operationally is that we're always concerned about um, loitering that could prevent access or that 
or that reduces safety for people, right? So if someone is blocking an entrance, that's a problem from an ADA perspective, and we'd, we'd work to make sure people aren't doing that. Um, if, if someone is interacting with people in a way that is threatening or makes people feel unsafe at this facility, you know, we'll work with um, uh, some of the community groups who are, are dealing with that, primarily our city parks and recs department and along with other community partners from Burt Nash and other, other folks to, to handle issues that we feel like you know, prevent access or reduce safety, I think is the way we'll look at that. Um, you know, if, if people spend a, a good amount of time at this facility on a given day and they're not hurting anyone and they're sitting on a bench and not preventing other people from sitting in the area, I, I don't think there's extra action we're likely to take. Um, you know, as far as people, you know, the, the building will have uh, hours that it will be open and staffed and it will be closed beyond that. So, you know, as far as inside the building, it, that, that will certainly be managed just by the hours of operation. Um, there is, you know, as part of our budget, uh, we have programmed um, part-time security and information staff. Um, so it can be useful beyond just the person at the customer service window to have somebody who is uh, available out on the bus platform to help um, prevent any escalating situations or help be um, kind of a, a first point of contact with our, um, you know, whether it's the KU safety police or whether it's um, a, you know, Burt, Rash, Burt Nash outreach team or, or somebody like that if needed. We do plan to have uh, some programmed contracted services out there to help us with that. Um, but those are some of the ways I would, I would say we're, we're going to manage that. Um, and, you know, of course, being empathetic with everybody in our community and how they use our, how they use our services. Adam, this, August, we just, I, on that, is, is this may seem like a silly question. Who technically owns this property? Is it a KU owned property or a city owned property? Because it, it determines the, the police, the law enforcement response agency is why I asked. Right. So, uh, this property will be, uh, it's going through a land transfer right now through the legislature. The University of Kansas is transferring this land to KU Endowment. The city will then lease the land from KU Endowment for a low cost lease. That's the same way that the um, fire station was handled right over off of uh, 19th and Stewart in that area, 21st and Stewart. Um, the city will own everything on top of the land. So we will own the building, all these improvements. Those will all be city owned and city responsible for maintenance. So um, we're also in the process of drafting an MOU, Memorandum of Understanding with um, not only endowment, but also KU about responsibilities of, of um, you know, maintenance, repair, all of that. Um, that would also include, you know, in a situation like this, um, you know, it's my understanding, you know, our, our point of contact will be the Lawrence Police Department, but I know there's a lot of coordination between those two enforcement groups as needed. So um, I would anticipate LPD and, and the KU Safety Office working close together. If there was a, a concern out here that needed, you know, very quick response, like you mentioned, KU Safety Office is right across the street. Um, so I think we anticipate continued coordination between those groups.
All right. Um, in the interest of time, I am going to move along, but again, happy to come back. Uh, so going to scroll down through some of the uh, renderings. So some of the, the fun aesthetic, you know, images, what this building and site will look and feel like. Um, I'll pause, you know, over, over each of these for a little bit um, and just um, briefly describe orientation and what you're looking at. So on uh, this top left image, you're looking at the building from Bob Billings. So you're facing south, um, looking at the side of the building there. On the right side of this would be that corner with the bike parking. This would be the opposite side of the building. Under this awning would be where bus operators would enter into that break room. Um, around the left side of that image would be where members of the public would enter the main area of the building. These two views are our passenger approaches from the platform. So walking towards the, the main entrance of the building. Again, you've got that um, bicycle long-term storage to the left. You've got Bob Billings off to the left. And uh, this glass pane area is where the waiting area would be and people could look out towards in this direction towards the bus platform. The intent, you know, you see some of the plantings here. It's our intent to really avoid lawn care as much as possible. Um, we're really trying to incorporate um, native plants, uh, things we can get established and will look nice for a long time, but require, uh, you know, only periodic maintenance as opposed to sprinklers and mowing and, and all of that. You know, the City Parks and Rec will be helping us do that work. And um, there's interest all around from us limiting, you know, how much we have to have to do lawn maintenance. So here you've got the existing shared use path, um, you know, bike and walk path, Bob Billings to the left. Here's that bike corner again. You see the stairs approach, the direct approach, and you see a hint of where that um, ADA path loops out around before coming back to the, the front of the building. Start to get but into that. What I, what I, sorry, Adam, what I just drew there was, um, um, there will be um, there will be a bike tire rail in that staircase as well. Great, thank you, Scott. Yeah, so easy easy to roll your bike up the stairs. So you don't have to pick it up or or drag it up the stairs. So now we get into some of the platform images. You see from the platform what it looks like looking towards the building. Might not have been um, as uh, I, I don't know if I pointed it out specifically, but because there's a pretty healthy distance between the building and the platform, um, uh, Wendell looked at, you know, adding a smaller overhead canopy uh, partway there as you cross towards the, uh, the automobile crossing area as a place, you know, in the event that it's raining or something, people have less of a distance to cross or they can pause under, um, under additional canopies on their way to and from, to and from buses. More platform images day and night. Um, this you can't see as easily in this picture, but towards the back of this, you're again looking towards the, the facility. You see that sawtooth bus bay configuration. So um, I think maybe in another image I can point out, yeah, I can point out at each sawtooth bus bay, um, you see these black rectangles, which are going to be real-time arrival signage. So they'll denote what routes serve each bus bay and when the next one is departing. 
Um, so uh, that'll be some some digital enhancements out here. Uh, there will be, you know, kind of this lower um, roof section over the center, uh, going a little higher with the, the canopies that head out over the buses. Part of that is just because buses are tall. Part of it is we are building these high enough to accommodate overhead charging um, if we ever needed to do that. So we'll have the right height here and we'll have the right conduit in place to um, to accommodate an overhead charging pantograph uh, that would come down and attach to the top of a bus. Because of cost, we do hope to avoid that um, with the way electric bus technology is going, but um, we are still trying to to plan for um, plan for those type of things. There are um, a couple of areas of windscreens. Maybe here is a place you can spot them a little easier. Um, so areas that you know they won't necessarily need a roof because you'll have a roof right over you, but there'll be windscreens to wait under. Um, at each of those, we are also looking at uh, suspended infrared heaters above that. So. In the winter time, you know, um, being in an area where you're blocked by the wind and also having an overhead heater um, should create some better waiting conditions when it's real world cold out. I think that's the end of the renderings. So I might pause here too um, to scroll back through anything and answer questions or have Wendell answer questions. Well, not hearing nothing from Scott and Tony, uh, PTAC members. Do you have any comments, questions, concerns about these renderings? All right, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I'm happy to come back as needed, but we'll get through these last few slides and um, answer any questions related to those. So. Adam, may I ask a question? Gregory? Yes. 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 Uh, in terms of uh, some of the uh, aesthetic um, and the renderings, does, you know, we had the question about who owns the property and how the building or how the building operates in terms of the aesthetic of the rendering. Um, and, and does it take on more of a city aesthetic or is it more of a KU aesthetic or a combination of both? Or is the rendering actually showing kind of the a neutral uh, look to the overall um, piece itself or building itself? Yeah, those are good questions. Um, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Area. Um, so there has been, you know, that, that's been one of the concerns from KU. This is at a corner that is labeled as a, a gateway to the university as part of the, the KU master plan. So there's certainly been um, an intent and hope from our side that we uh, create some aesthetics that that fit some of what KU is looking for. Um, you know, one of those minor elements you might notice is just red on the roof line, both of the, the platform canopies and the building canopy as, um, you know, one of the aesthetic nods to the red roofs that you see on KU's campus. Um, I think beyond that, I, I know color-wise trying to look for some of the neutrals that KU uses. I'm not sure if we, um, display exactly what the, the color might look like. I know in general, we were aiming for something of a lighter color for heat reasons. Um, 
but there may be some room there to, you know, align it more with kind of the limestone, you know, still a light color, but like a limestone color or something to that effect. Those are some of the things we heard back from KU. Um, I know that when we get into developing, you know, there'll be a lot of plant activity at this site, not only in all of these front areas, but if I scroll back up to the site plan, the hillside to the south here will be a relatively steep hillside still, um, but that will be planted um, in a way to prevent erosion and and KU has, you know, in their landscaping um, standards has certain plant palettes, if you will, different plants they would look for and, and that sort of thing. So I think this hillside will maybe be more uh, interesting and, and, and draw your eye to it maybe than current imagery suggests. Um, I think those will be some of the pieces, Gregory. I mean, I think we, we did really leave it in the hands of Wendell to, to give us something that, um, you know, of course we're limited by the size and shape of the existing building, right? We can't, by the nature of us trying to reuse the concrete slab and the, the steel supports and those sort of things, we can't dramatically change the overall shape of this. Um, or add kind of dramatic, um, you know, different roof lines and different things like that. So it it really is about some of these these pieces with color and um, you know the glass corners as a way to to create a, a little more modern feel. Um, so I don't you know I don't know if I'm fully answering your question. I'm not sure we have a uh, necessarily a city aesthetic we went for. We we were pretty open from our side and and trusting that we'd get something that looked. Um, that look nice. And then on a couple of these things have followed KU's lead on, you know, we'd like to see a little bit of red here, or we'd like to see the plants do this. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Adam. The question was mostly uh, about the, about finish um, on the exterior. Uh, it'd be, uh, you know, this will be a, a building of some um, importance at that corner and just seeing how that plays out. But I think in terms of what you talk about, the the surrounding vegetation and the plantings, that'll probably give a lot of nice aesthetic to the uh, grounds as well. Yeah, thanks, Greg. And I might, I mean, just because of your background, I might push you a little bit. Is there, you know, at in your role, you know, in architecture and professor in architecture, is there are there things that stand out to you finish-wise that you think would be opportunities for us? Well, I believe, I think it's it's really all depending on the uh, specific finish that is being specified. Um, for instance, if it's a panel or if it's a, an applied paint or, uh, I, I mean, the like you said, the glass corners really uh, bring it forward in terms of the aesthetic style. Uh, that'll be a nice, both, especially in the waiting area to have that transparency. Um, and, and that'll be really nice. And then in the bike area, um, but for instance, if it's a um, uh, a hardy panel finish, is there opportunity to do some color toning or something that would break up the um, elevation uh, a bit in terms of the finish? But I mean, if it's not, it all depends on the finished material uh, if, to go with something both cost effective and potentially helping. All right, I, um, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I do want to highlight another um, 
chat comment about uh, asking about if there will be bike racks in the sawtooth area. So I suppose that means in like in the platform area. Um, it's a reasonable question. I'm not sure, you know, in the in the bulk of this area, there's going to be a number of things going on, you know, seating, trash cans, there of course be the support beams coming down, the windscreens. Um, it may be challenging to find a, a right spot for bike racks in this area that, that doesn't block uh, kind of pathways, but um, that's a, a reasonable question. You know, when I look at an image like this, where we have, of course, the larger uh, kind of bulb out islands that exist really on a peninsula, if you will, really exist on both sides of the uh, of the island. There's certainly more space for something like that. Um, so I think there's some opportunity there um, for for bike racks in in those areas. I know, I don't know, Scott, if you want to, you know, we looked at, we talked about this area, right, as maybe having some potential for additional yeah. bike infrastructure. Yeah, we're, we're, we're typically not, um, you know, I agree with what you said. Um, there, there are probably some spaces we could put it on the platform. Um, we we typically don't encourage that. We prefer the um, bike um, storage to be off the platform, um, so that people are, um, you know, if if they are um, using the bike rack on the bus, that's fine. You know, they'll have their bike there. But storing bikes on the platform itself, um, we typically run into mobility issues with that. So we we try to keep them off the platform as far as storage goes. Okay. Well, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, I'm going to get through a few more of these things just to make sure there's time for questions. So um, speak to a little bit of the timeline. We, you know, really starting today, we were going to start pushing out these images and uh, providing opportunity to talk with people at the current a uh, bus platform downtown where, where bus transfers happen across from the library. Um, we'll get some uh, time and, and space within the library to talk with people. I know we're working with KU on some good dates and times to talk with students, uh, likely in the union would be the place where we'd, we'd try to do that. Um, so we're, we're working through some of those things. Um, you know, again, kind of like we've talked about today, we really want to, when we talk with people, we'd like to confirm, you know, are you seeing what you expected to see? You know, early on we heard, you know, we'd like there to be public restrooms and indoor waiting space, uh, you know, seating, lighting, some of the things we expect, but uh, this is our, our chance to, to double check that and make sure we're uh, off in the right direction. Um, we will, uh, we are planning on providing a project update to city commission next month. Um, so providing uh, certainly the information we've talked about tonight, but any, any new developments as we've worked through this. We plan to bid out this project in um, a couple of packages, one, one for the site so that we can get all the concrete work and, and platform work going. And then, um, you know, working through 
city and university comments related to the building will take just a little bit longer so that there will be a package that follows there. Um, but we're trying to get those out uh, some, sometime in the neighborhood of April. Um, there is, you know, there's still evaluation and work being done related to Crestline on if uh, there, there can be any improvements made to that. And, and so there's still some, some coordination between city and the university on that piece. Um, all of that aims towards us selecting uh, contractors to do this work, um, uh, getting city commission approval hopefully in June. And really then the last half of this year is when this construction work happens. Um, we are still aiming for that opening of January 2023. That would be the time where we're able to uh, implement route redesign. Um, again, there's certainly, there's still work uh, related to route redesign with, with the city and KU on um, some things that, that probably need to change this August ahead of January, and then some other things that will change in January. Um, but that, that is still the, the time we're aiming for and, and feel good about being able to meet. Budget-wise, just some some high-level numbers. Um, you know, budget really clarifies when we get bids back in uh, in June. But um, to give you a sense of where we've come, you know, when we when we first put out the, the RFQ to solicit services that, that Wendell replied to, we um, had estimated a, a little over six and a half million dollar um, project that included both the main site and downtown, both design and construction. Um, as we worked through some of our initial uh, concept work with Wendell, um, you know, they did in April of 2021, it, it became clear that was not, uh, you know, the, the program we had built was, was not going to be um, limited to that amount of money. So we updated our, our CIP project to, to better reflect some of the early estimates that we saw um, back in 2021. And, uh, and that was a little over $10 million that would be, again, both the main site and downtown, both design and construction. Uh, working with Wendell, um, you know, we, we were really targeting this, this $8.5 million number for, for both sites, design and construction. And that's really what we were pushing towards. In January, we were still a little high. We've, we've done some work with uh, Wendell and others to, to value engineer some things and get us, get us down closer to that cost. Though at this point, um, that that eight and a half million dollar number is reflecting more the design and construction only of the the main site, and again, some of these numbers will continue to to clarify as we as we really hammer out details. Um, so that does put us in you know a, a little more of we'll have to be really thoughtful about our next steps related to downtown. We've certainly got a lot more uh, public engagement and design work to do in that stage, as well as any type of construction improvements we would do. So um, we don't have quite the resources we uh, programmed that we thought we were gonna have for downtown. Um, there is some uncertainty still because we are waiting to hear back on state AIC grants. Uh, we have an application in for funds related to downtown improvements. So that could change things, but um, Essentially, I wanted this to give you a sense that we are um, still doing just fine budget-wise and able able to absorb what is what really needs to happen out at the main site, Bob Billings and Crestline, and um, that we continue to be 
hopeful, you know, with a little bit of that room um, of programmed money here, as well as, you know, potential AIC grant that we can still uh, keep things moving downtown in a way that gets us a site that everyone agrees with and then improvements that we can afford, afford to put in the ground. I know we're coming up on time here, so I will be thoughtful about how long we spend on this. The takeaway, um, what you're looking at is, is uh, left column was programming that we put into the RFQ. Uh, when we put out an RFQ that Wendell and others responded to, this is what we said, you know, please design us a site that includes these things at the main, at the main site. We gathered more input through uh, 2021. Um, the immersion process and, and other outreach that we did with folks. We heard other things that people cared about uh, that were not specifically listed out in the RFQ. And we've been mostly able to accommodate um, those things. There are a few things that I list as, um, you know, not explicitly shown in the plan. They're either still under, uh, they still require some work or they, they may not be something we can, that we can achieve with our budget, with our space, um, with our time. So um, public art definitely will happen, right? We just have some more work to do on it. We've got to select an artist, we gotta get them into the process and we don't have clear definition on exactly what that is until, um, until we get through that process. Wi-Fi is not something that's been listed specifically in plans, but is certainly affordable enough that we plan to do that at the facility and plan to have um, free Wi-Fi service, uh, you know, for the public in the waiting areas. Um, so we just need to do a little more work on that with our IT team as things, you know, get closer um, to implementation. Charging for wheelchairs came up. Um, so, you know, there certainly be places where people can charge phones and, and devices and different things like that. Um, you know, some, some of the folks from our um, community, uh, different groups who care about accessibility um, asked if we could um, look at having places where a wheelchair could charge up. And I know, I believe the public library has uh, a space for that. And so, um, again, I think this is certainly something we, we can and should accommodate. We just haven't got the details all hammered out. Um, but I would think that would be a good, a good amenity for us to, to have for the folks that use our services. Solar is uh, not something that's currently uh, included in this project. It's something that we have um, wanted to do um, one of the challenges with repurposing that type of building is that the, the large uh, roof of the main facility is not something that can physically support solar panels, um, just that type of construction. So um, that's one of the challenges at, at us really implementing it. Of course, it's uh, also not cheap to implement on the front end. And as you saw, budget is getting tight um, or is tight. So um, solar is not something that we that we currently have in the program. And then Alan asked about tornado shelters earlier. So we've, we've kind of covered the extent of what we're able to accommodate from a shelter perspective. Um, you know, not, not a, a large area to bring a bunch of people to the site, but more, um, you know, we should accommodate the people who are uh, there on a daily basis, smaller rooms, that sort of thing. And I believe that is the end. So um, I'll stop talking in case there are questions, concerns, other thoughts. I'll start. Uh, Tony, Scott, do you two have anything else you want to add that Adam hasn't touched on yet? 
No, sir. No, I think um, I think that covers where we are. Okay. Thank you both. Um, PTAC members, do any of you have comments, questions, or concerns? This is Al Acklin, PTAC member. Um, on the uh, announcement for buses, you, you said there's going to be the, like the digital the displays, but there's also an audio that goes along with that and the, uh, uh, to announce bus arrival and departures. Uh, Adam Michael, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, we have not got into audio announcements out on the platform, but um, that likely will be what we look at. I mean, for accessibility reasons, uh, you know, for people who um, are visually impaired and may not be able to see the signs, we would want also an audio component of that to be, you know, accessible to everybody using the site. So um, that'll be certainly something we want to incorporate, but don't have great detail on yet. Thank you, Alan, Adam. Are there any other comments, questions, concerns from other PTAC members? Well, uh, hearing none, I don't necessarily have anything. I, I'm really impressed with what we have really the only uh, thing that I care about is like the renderings to me, it's hard for me to visually place where we're at in the geography because I know that like from the view that we have on some of these, you would most likely be seeing hills because it's right in that area of steep incline. But I, I, I'm a fan. So thank you for producing this and I hope that uh, the public input goes well. I look forward to hearing what we've gotten by the time we have our uh, meeting in March. Uh, well, with that said, uh, let's proceed on to next items in the agenda with our remaining and six minutes. Mike, <laughs> Mike, Adam Mike yeah, I might, I might pause just to make sure there's no Public comment. I know we've got a couple members of the public on. Uh, yes, uh, public comment. Are there any members of the public who want to comment on this? Thank you, Adam. I have one. I have two questions regarding the site plan. Um, I guess the first one, I don't know if it fits into a site plan question, but is the bus, as it exits the facility, does it have its own lane it'll be exiting into or does it have to share an automobile lane as it exits it's a good question so uh, adam weigel transit and parking manager um so whether or not it's exiting on crestline or bob billings um it will not have its own lane that it's pulling into okay uh, one of our benefits on bob billings because that is a busier you know higher speed street mm -hmm. um one of the benefits of the site is that with the traffic light right there at Bob Billings and Crestline there um, that naturally creates you know ample gaps for a bus to be able to get out safely um, and then Crestline there's there uh, there are they are doing a traffic study as part of the work right now for Crestline but we don't anticipate with you know the more limited traffic on Crestline that we'll have any issues 
um, you know, pulling out and dealing with with people coming up quickly behind us. Okay, thank you for that information. And then the other one, I was um, this is more of a specific question, but how many parking spots do you anticipate on site at the Crestline facility? So Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, we, uh, in our initial program, asked for uh, 15 parking spaces um, as, as a number that we thought would accommodate kind of day-to-day -day staff. And then, uh, you know, any event where we have a public meeting, we anticipate some people accessing the site on bus or on foot or by bike, but still having a little bit of extra for, um, for people in automobiles. I think we're going to get close. There's still a little bit of work to do with the parking. We have to be respectful of uh, a firm line that was drawn for land transfer. Um, but I think we're getting right, cl right close and maybe a little bit over that number of 15 um, that can be used for, um, like I said, I think it probably in the neighborhood of seven or eight sites or eight um, parking spots will be the only ones needed on a day-to-day -day basis for staff. Um, but then having a little extra room for for meetings and the like. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your questions, Mark. Uh, any other members of the public who have uh, comments, questions, or concerns about the current plans for the multimodal facility? I'll just note because it's in the chat, and I'm not sure if there's an audio issue for uh, for JT. But JT um, just expresses um, unhappiness with bike facility integration in the site. Would like them to be on the on the pad, the center um, island where people are boarding. Thank you. Uh, well, I have not been seeing some of those messages, so they must be coming directly to you. Uh, with that, then we'll go on with our remaining two minutes to the rest of our agenda. Uh, first, uh, for future agenda work session items to add, in the interest of time, I'll just say, uh, PTAC members, if you have anything you want us to discuss at a future meeting, uh, feel free to contact Adam, myself, and Lance. We will definitely put your idea under consideration for the next agenda. Uh, Second item then under PTAC members items is a pedestrian plan update. Lance, do you have any comments on that at this time? Uh, oh, I do not see Lance on the list anymore. He might have dropped off. Yes, I think Lance dropped off, unfortunately. Okay, so no ped plan update. Uh, Adam, do you want to discuss any of the transit staff items? Briefly. Adam, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I'll be really brief. Um, I'll just say we're getting uh, to an exciting place in the electric bus project, the first deployment. There's a lot of things coming together. Um, we are we are still set to get those uh, in April. So um, it'd be wonderful if things work out for us to get to Earth Day with an electric bus. Um, that would be pretty exciting, but there's a few things got to fall into place. Um, so we're, we're, we're working on that. Um, as far as route redesign, we are still pushing, uh, you know, working with KU to get a final proposed scenario out to, for public comment. We really are aiming to get that out while students are still in semester this spring. So we're hoping by um, last part of March or through April is when we can get back out and uh, 
final proposed scenario for people to give us comments on. And then uh, grant-wise, unfortunately, I don't have anything new for you on AIC or um, a federal grant bus and bus facilities, which was an application for a couple of, um, of additional electric buses. So I'll let you know as soon as, as we hear something on those, but time's still waiting. Uh, thank you for that information, Adam. Only thing I would want to ask on the AIC grants is, is there anyone that we haven't reached out to already who could give us advice on why we aren't hearing back about those grants? State legislators, anyone from inside a KDOT, anyone within the governor's office? Um, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Uh, it's it's my understanding that, um, you know, our, our KDOT members are the are our contact and, and they update us uh, each time we see them by by letting us know there has not been an update. It's my understanding it's in the hands of the governor's office to, to decide when to make the announcement. Um, so uh, so we have not attempted to reach out to the, the governor's office to find additional info. I know there's a lot of other agencies all throughout the state waiting to hear back as well. Um, but that's that's kind of where we sit. Okay. Thank you. I'm just, I, I'm sure I'm with you that we're, I'm frustrated that we applied for these back in, I think, June or July of last year, and it should not be taking into 2022 for them to announce grants that are for financial year 2021. So anyway, uh, thank you for that information. Uh, unless there is something else that someone wants to bring up our next meeting is scheduled for March 14th. Uh, thank you everyone for being in attendance at this time. And I'll give everyone one last opportunity. Is there anything anyone wants to mention? Al Ashland, PTAC member, happy Valentine's Day. Thank you all and happy Valentine's Day everyone. Appreciate you spending uh, about 80 minutes with us, and I hope that you get to celebrate doing something nice and not transit related. Okay, uh, we will see you at 410 on March 14th. Have a great night, everyone. Meetings adjourned. Thank you.